Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, now let me take a look, uh, try it, uh, Parshas Achimus, the Parsha of the Week, uh, which is being sponsored by my good friends in Israel who I've never met, the Radomskis. They say it's in celebration of my mitzvah of our daughter, Elie Sheba. I have one, I have a daughter, Elie Sheba, too. Her birthday is 22 Nisan, which is Isruchag, Israel. So Achimus would be great, great. Okay, um, you know how it works. In Israel, Achimus was this previous Shabbos. For me, in Chutzar, it's Achimus is the following Shabbos, it's coming Shabbos. But anyway, Mazel Tov to Sheva. And as I say, one day I'll get to Israel. I'll actually make it my business to get over there. They live in the Gush. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Achrimos, which is uh, so cryptic, uh, because it doesn't tell you what happened to Nona and Aviv. All we know is that we, of course, have in the first part of the Pasha, everybody knows this. They have the Yom Kippur ceremony, but somehow it's connected with the fact that Aaron lost his two sons. Uh, why exactly did he lose the two sons? You know, what what's going on over here? And how does that connect with Yom Kippur? Which, to my mind, is a very interesting thing. I'll tell you what I mean. It happens to be that it happened to pick up in Shul. I don't know why. My rusty, trusty Torah Sa'ola from the Ramah. I don't look at it too often, but I have the nice edition with the Nakudas and so forth. On Pesach. And I just happened to see, and I left the page open, you know, until um, now. Um, something that struck me very powerfully. The Ramah has a policy of going through all the carbonus and uh, all the carbonus that mentioned in the Bible, but also all the carbonus that you go through the year. And it was mentioned in the context of Pesach, because the Mishnah says, and so forth, that you say every day in the Mishnah, excuse me, in uh, Eza Makoman. So I was just glancing at it. And I see that Ramah, who is very full, he waxes very philosophical, uh, or theosophical, in this book. It's kind of really interesting in a quirky way, it seems to me. And when I say theosophical, philosophical, everything's like a muscle, get it? So, uh, it's very, uh, this book, as, as far as I know, I'm not the world's expert in Torah, so uh, it's very powerfully influenced and mentioned all the time, the murder of Bukham on the one hand, and the Ralbag on the other, Grisanides, which is just, you know, quite remarkable. So, in I'm looking at Chelek Shlichi, chapter 40, which is short, and he talks about Bechor Masa Pesach, and, uh, you know, it has to be eaten. These are three components have to be eaten, as we all know. And he says, Indian Pesach, he's Bar Hilchus Pesach. And then he says, what's the story of the Bechor Masa? Masa means the tenth animal, you know, the carbon. So, uh, not the food. So he says, Kfar is Nerim Yonam, I've already explained. Bechor has to do with the number one, you know, and I'm not going to pursue that. But this is, you know, but Necholin, you know, it says, Bechor Maisa Pesach, Necholin, Shneyomim, Lecholin, What's the idea of a chil? What's the meaning of the command to the priests to eat it? Because you have to eat it. So he says like this, Bechor Maisa Pesach, 
מורה על השכחה המושגת לכהנים מניין האחדוס. Which is a heck of a statement, which means, as I understand it, that when the Torah says you're supposed to eat the carbon, yes, there is a command to eat it. I mean, you know, he's not a reformer. There is a command to eat it. But what's the meaning of it, right? What's the symbolism, perhaps? What's the idea of eating a carbon? And uh, especially a b'chor. So he says like this, that you can, the coin is in a certain state of consciousness if he does it right. And the state of consciousness involves trying to make sure that you understand that, uh, that God is an echad and not a multiple situation. Right? It's easier said than that I've said it a hundred times. The Rambam makes this point as I understand them. That anything you think about God is automatically wrong. Because it's a created idea and God created the idea, so therefore it can't be identical with it. You can't really say God is God or Gib or No or this, that, and the other, whatever you want to say. Logical or anything like that. Because these are all created ideas. So what am I supposed to do when I think about God? I'm supposed to try to get past all that, even though I know at the same time it's not possible. So I have to say, I'm thinking about something which is not Godel Gibor. Obviously, it's not evil or this, that, and the other. The word powerful doesn't work. This doesn't work. And I keep doing this negative stuff in which you sort of uh, scrape away mentally any idea you have. But, you know, you roll into the problem that even a idea stripped of anything is also a created concept. An unknowable God. <clears throat> these are words. These are all created concepts. And so it drives you crazy. And yet, in spite of what I just said, the duty of the Jew, or at least the superior Jew, is to try to work in that. Okay? Even though you can't get there. So it's what you call an ideal in English. Ideal means something you strive for, but you can't get it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an ideal. Who was it? Browning, who said, what's a heaven for? You know, a, a man's, a, 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 how does it say, grasp should exceed his reach? Or what's a heaven for? That's another way of saying the ideal, by definition, cannot be grasped, but you're supposed to chase after it. So a Kohen is a superior individual, a Kohen who is enduring the Abuda in the base of Migdash. And so the Achila, again, the Ramah, I don't have to tell you, is <laughs> a halacha guy. So he's not saying there's no din of actually eating it. There is. But what's really happening, what's the, what's the meaning of it? What's the uh, symbolism, perhaps? Or better yet, what meta metaphysical thing is supposed to happen when you eat this carbon in the right state of mind and so forth? Achila Mora. Right? That the hasogab, the perception of true achdus, that God is one, again, in the idea, you know, like they all do that stuff, as I said before. I don't mean the number one, because that's divisible, but unique. But that also doesn't work because that's a created idea. And most people, if you start going like that, they say, Cats, just shut up already because you're getting me dizzy just thinking about it. Fine. So you can stop because you're getting dizzy. But a Kohen in the Avoda, in the Beis Hamidosh, he's not supposed to get dizzy. This is actually what he's supposed to concentrate on. Okay? And we call this the Achila. Achila. Vasoga Hanikris Befichacham Achila. Right? And this Hasoga that I just done was this perception of stripping away all the ideas behind God, and understanding God is just, uh. and of course, even that doesn't work. You know, as I said before, you can't even say God exists because he created the concept 
of existence. Again, you freak out. That this is the Hasoga, which the Chacham call Achila, so it doesn't mean eat anymore. Uh, and this is the meaning, it's like they say, that's the reason I wanted to mention this to you. So, this is the famous scene back in Shmos, where Moses and Aaron, the others, all go up the mountain. Moshe goes all the way to the top, the others stop in the middle. And they have a meeting with God. You know, and so forth. That they see God in, in some vision. A sapphire brick, however you understand it. In other words, it's some mystical experience. And they see God, even though you and I know you can't see God. So it means they have some kind of a perception of God. Like the Novi as a Chizoyon. Now, what does that mean? They saw God and they sat down and eat and drink. Many ways of understanding that. One way is this was a sin. That's what the matter says. So basically, they pulled out, <laughs> they pulled out sandwiches. Mom is like a kiddish club. They saw it in bunch along, and then they say, "Okay, it's eleven forty-five. Bring out the booze." You know, it's not me talking. It's a chazal. And they say, Hashem said, I'm going to get you for this. And he waited, and uh, he didn't want to stare the, that day. So he waited till, uh, you know, by Yom HaShemini, or by, by the uh, Mishkan. So according to that, they ate and drank, and it was a terrible sin. Uh, be part of their arrogance. However, there's a completely different way of understanding that. And that was that, um, means that they ate in a state of Kedusha. They turned the food into the chefs of Kedusha. You know what I'm saying? This is like the Ramchal talks about in his chapter on Kedusha at the end of the book of the Mishel Sisharim, that if you hit the right level and your mom is holding by Dvekas 24-7, you know, mom is 24-7, then everything you do becomes a Maisei Kedusha, and the food you eat becomes sacred because it's used by you as, as, as an instrument, something that helps you in your Avodah Hashem. And that's really the theoretical idea behind the Hasidic custom with the Rebbe's and the Sharaim and all that stuff. Assuming that the Rebbe really is the perfect human being that's mentioned in the Masil Sharm, stipulating that, then the food he eats is Taka Holy. You see? So, the source for that in Hasidic literature would be another Venabil. At the burning bush. No, this is a high, well, look what a high madrega they were on. It's a completely different way of reading it. There's a whole article in this by Louis Jacobs somewhere. I forget what it was called. Eating, you know, as a form of worship or something like that. He collected all the sources on this. I remember seeing it many years ago. Uh, did a good job. So, uh, they turned, you know, in this exalted state of Dvekas, then they ate and drank, and and it wasn't a stare to their Kedusha, the opposite. It was part of their, it was in service of their Kedusha. They were Mila, the, the material, to the level of, of Bruchnius. That's another approach. But that is not what the Ramah is saying over here happened. Instead, he's saying that they didn't eat at all. When he says, it means they perceived 
They perceived something. And they got past the false um, understandings of the word God means. And they're able to do that, to some degree, anyway. You understand? So they didn't actually eat. There's a different mahalach, okay? Sort of a philosophical mahalach. Didn't, they didn't eat, but they perceived. And that's what he means when he says that there's a mitzvah that on him to be achila. It means, according to this, that there's a, the God commands the Kohanim when they're in service in the base of to understand that they're dealing with something beyond Hasogas and absolute achdus and that kind of business. And it's achdus and the echa yochi kichudo, as the Rambam waxes lyrical about, you know, in his essay. So, um, isn't that interesting? Now, I want to tell you something. Uh, just for the heck of it, I happened to have in front of me the JPS uh, to come to the class I did before with Dengus Mikus Gadolis. And Jesse was looking at the Ramban and says, Look, look at the Ramban uh, back by Nodavan Aviu. And what he said by Nodavan Aviu, because everybody's trying to figure out what did Nodavan Aviu do back in Parshish uh, Shemini, what exactly happened. And everybody's got a different take, as I said before. And Ramban's one seems to be that. Um, what they did was they went for the uh, the they, they sacrificed to the to, to, to the Midas Hadin. Uh, um, what am I thinking of? Midas Midas The Midas Hadin, and that was wrong. Okay, they focused their attention only on the fiery divine attribute of justice, and that wasn't a reich nichoch. And I'm looking at the the scholarly footnotes that the commentators of the Ramban understand them to be explaining that none of an avil offered incense only to God in his aspect of divine justice and not to the complete unity of God. And it was a mistake because divine justice unmitigated by any other aspect of God is a dangerous force. So that actually is very meduic in the words which is and that's what they, to them, that's what became the Achdus. And this was wrong. And the uh, whole point of the of the Ketoris is to mix together the Din and the Rachman. Because uh, otherwise, I suppose, I mean, I can only suppose, you end up thinking the God is actually identical with the Midas Din, And he's not. He created it. You see? But once you say the Midas Din is balanced by Midas Rachman, it gives more than an idea that there are different Midas out there and, and there's somebody behind that running the whole show. That's what it seems to me. And so if the Kohanim are commanded to eat, then... Um, they're commanded to understand the whole show, as is that the the true Achdus, which is hard because I tell you again, if you keep saying he's not God, he's not Gibor, he's not this, he doesn't exist, he do, he created this, he created this. I'm thinking of something that's beyond Hasogus, but the word beyond Hasogus is also created. After a while, you get a headache, unless you're coming. They said before, you're supposed to focus on this, which is just interesting Mahalos. And at the beginning of our parsha, it said by Dabra Hashem al Moshe Achre Moshe Bnei Aaron. Right? So they didn't get it right. And then it's followed very nicely by the whole business of Yom Kippur, which is precisely about the Ketoris. No, there's Aaron supposed to atone for the Jewish people by bringing in the Ketoris, as we all know, into the Holy of Holies, which is a mixture of the good and the bad, the Midas Adin, the Midas Racham, among other things, but also the good Jews and the bad Jews. And all that, and what's basically saying like this: Don't do like your kids did, right? Don't do like your kids did, which they saw as just a, 
a strict din, because that ain't going to work. You'll get consumed by that. The uh, you, you, the job of the coin, Aaron, and your successors is rather to focus on helping Klai Yisrael out, because guess what? Ain't Sadiq and certainly among Klai Yisrael, the way it's always going to be is there are going to be sinners among them. Now, I keep saying it's an ideal, and then people write to me and say it's not an ideal, all the rest of it. Theoretically, I mean, I'm right. Theoretically, sure, everybody should be righteous. But it's impossible. It never was, never will be. So what's the point of talking about a theory which by definition cannot be? Now, again, theoretically it could be. It is theoretically possible that every single Jew without exception will be a Tzadik Yisrael and every single person out there will be a Chaim Kanyeski. It's possible, but not. But it's not going to happen. So what's the point of talking about these kinds of things if it's not real? The Torah is dealing with the real. You understand? So... Uh, what we have to do is we have Yom Kippurim. The whole Parsha this week is predicated on the fact there are going to be sinners. It's, it's what it's going to be. And it doesn't say, you know, if things get out of hand, here's the atonement ceremony. Uh, which you find sometimes in the Nach. You know, things got out of hand, then the king would convene some kind of grand uh, repentance ceremony. In this week's Parsha, as you know, we are actually putting this into the calendar. <laughs> Right? That's the point of Achimos. We're putting Yom Kippur into the calendar. Uh, imagine if everybody was good. Then we come Yom Kippur and we say, Baruch But it'll never be like that. By saying that a permanent part of the scheduled Jewish people is going to be something called Yom Kippurim, you're saying it's always going to be sinners. It's always going to be people who need Kapara. And this is how you go about the process of doing the Kapara. That's kind of interesting. You understand? Uh, and it fits in very good with the fact that it's Achim Moshe Ben because they were thinking of the Midas Adin. Sounds like they were thinking in terms of making everybody pure or everybody can be held to this in the standard, perhaps. I'm not sure. I'm sure somebody smarter than me can play with this. And uh, envisioning some kind of cholesterol type situation in which everybody will be right and the sinners will be burned. And so, no, it doesn't go like that. It's always going to be the good and the bad. And everybody's going to need a kapara. So you might as well write that into your schedule because it's always going to be there, something to deal with. You know, there's there, you, you, otherwise, you'd, otherwise you'd say like this, there's no such thing as Yom Kippur. Instead, each and every person's on his own and her own. And when you do a sin, clean it up. Yay, Treif, clean it up. You told Lush and Hara, clean it up. You did Ben Amla Havera, clean it up. Do your, you know, your Harata Alava, Kabbalah, Sid, whatever you want to say. And we do believe that. And yet, in spite of that, we have Hashidah in which there's a collective thing called Yom Kippurim, in which kind of a certain grace. Right? Lifnei Hashem Tatar means you will become holy. Uh, you'll become pure before the Lord. You can read Tatar as a command, but it's not. Tatar, as you know, in, in Hebrew grammar, is a future tense. It's not a command tense. Even though in modern writ we sometimes mix it together, but this is biblical Hebrew. It would be Lifnei Hashem Hitoharu. But it's, it doesn't say this, it's Lifnei Hashem Titoru. So what he's saying is every year you'll become Torah on this day. Uh, but, and, 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 and mind you, it doesn't say, I think I'm right about this, in Achimos, uh, repent on Yom Kippur. Am I right about I believe so. It's remarkable. It doesn't say anywhere 
repent on Yom Kippur. It just says that they will come Yom Kippur and God will forgive you on that day. He will be metahir you. Okay? It is precisely because of this lack of any kind of explicit verse that it became the custom in Chazal and elsewhere to read Lifnei Hashem Tetaru as kind of telling you some kind of a mitzvah say or something like that. But as I said before, it doesn't quite say that unless you want to use the future tense in the command like a Queen Victoria. You will sit down now. You will, you know, get up. You will do this. You know, but that's not what it means, really. Levnashim Tatarah means you will become Tahar. Every once a year, God has to reset the, the, the machine. That's uh, the meaning of the base of mission, all the atonement ceremonies. That's the meaning of the uh, Katarus and all the rest of it. So it's really kind of interesting this notion that Achila has to do with perception of Achtus, and that the job of the coin is to get a headache and try to, you know, uh, get to the Achtus of Hashem. And the Achtus over here, as you see, consists of, you can't say God is just. Right? Because that's just saying Midas Adin. God is more than just. God is also Misarachmim. So you see, which is it? You know, which chair is he sitting on? Can't sit on both chairs at the same time. Yes, you can. As soon as you start talking about these terms, you can get wrapped up in them and then you forget the point that they're all just muscles. Because God is not Rachman, God is not Din, God is not anything. He created all this, and the coin, as I say, is supposed to get past it. The it seems though the way to get past this is by focusing on the fusion of the mystical reality of Kali Yisrael, which is the, the Din and the Rachman. The Hamtokas Adin what they call it in the literature. So I think it's like very um interesting this notion that uh, you know it's Achri Mos that once none of Avil got it wrong in their pursuit of of getting it right. Um so afterwards uh, and, and and the reason they got it wrong was because what they consumed, what they perceived was the Elohim, the Midas Adin, but then that killed them. Now that you are wiser, tell Aaron, armed with this knowledge, go in on the ceremony called Yom Kippur, go into the Holy of Holies, but make sure you have the Midas Adin and the Midas Arachim there together at the same time in the right balance, what they call the Katoris. Uh It's a very heavy idea. Anyway, but you also see, which is, again, very interesting to me, and I'm going to make this too long, that what else do you have in the Parsha? Stay away from the blood and stay away from all the pervert stuff. Now, that means, obviously, there we have the Jewish people, you took them out of Egypt, but you want to know something? It's easier to take something out of Egypt than to take Egypt out of them. Right? Where are the people holding? Think about this. It's, to me, it's remarkable. They already were in Shemos. They already got the Ten Commandments. They saw Hashem. They heard, you know, the Kolos and Brokham and all the rest of it. They even had the mice with Egel as oh, So they survived that. Which is quite a story. Um, and they repented, let's say, from Egel as oh, let, let, Let's go that way. Um, and they're still at the foot of Sinai because that's what happens in Bayitra. And they saw Moshe go up there 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, that's the whole story with Dago, right? So they had their, their three times. They had the first 40 days, the second, and the third. The third 40, third 40 days culminates in our Parsha in the Yom HaKippurim. Uh Well, this Parsha is later, but I mean, it's based on that. So consider well, the Jewish people leave Egypt. Then they finally get to Harsinai. 
Then they hear the Ten Commandments pronounced on Shavuos. Then comes 40 days later until Moshe comes down with the two tablets, which of course he breaks because of the Egalazov. Then comes 40 days when Moshe prays for the Jewish people not to get killed. Then comes another 40 days when Moshe Rabbeinu prays to get the full atonement and restoration of good feelings. Now everything's great. I'm not finished. Then comes the command to build a Mishkan. Then they build a Mishkan and have the dedication of the Mishkan, which is a high. Okay? Mahibi Yom Hashmini, the Gemara told us, it was a someday. It was quite a day. And they see all these Nisim and flaws, And yet they're still eating blood and sacrificing the demons. That's my point. Because they have to be told in this parsha. Isn't that in this week's parsha? I believe? But, you know, that they should stop with the blood. Um, and remember, he talked about goats uh, in the, uh, what do you call it? In the Yom Kippur ceremony. But here it is. I don't trust you to offer carbonus yourself because who knows what you're going to do. You have to bring as they say, all the carbonists in the desert to be shechted by the Kohen and so forth. We want this regulated and supervised. And, uh, what do you call it? And nobody should eat the blood. Um, doesn't it say somewhere over here that they still, they still, well, that they were still involved with the demon business. Maybe it's not in our parsha. So it's the next one, maybe. But this, this, now here it is. It's in this parsha. Police yeah, it's in, it's in Perkut Zion. Uh, you, you saw Hakadosh Baruch Hu bechol You heard Nasev Nishma. You heard all this stuff that I just told you, and you're still into the blood and the demons. Yeah, yeah. I can't We have an answer That's what it says. So, uh, as I said before, you can take people out and show them the falseness, perhaps, of the Egypt, all the rest of it, but it's still in them. It's, it's still in them. Because once you've been exposed to it, you know, it gets in you, you can't help it. This is the defense of the super fromies who say you shouldn't expose anybody, any kids to anything. I mean, they do have, there's a certain point, I don't know, realistic, but there's a point to that. Because when you see something, you hear something, all the rest of it, it leaves a roshim. You can't deny it. And you see in this week's parsha, because therefore stay away from all the incest and all the junk and all the gay business, because you 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 were there, and because you were there, you were affected by it. And I have to give special losases. And by the way, I have to go to all kind of details. This kind of arayas and that kind of arayas. And this thing and that thing, if you go with the Torah Shabbat Peh, this situation and that situation, why have to spell it all out? You see that, you know, this is what they picked in Egypt. Now, it's funny. We're told that when they're Mitzrayim, I, I did this last week, there were Gedurim Barayas. You see? There were Gedurim Barayas. That they weren't into this kind of stuff. Well, that just means, I guess, that they weren't involved with Egyptian women. But Sebastian Zich, they did all this stuff. And now you have to say, now that you're alone in the desert, it's not enough to get away from the guy. You can't do it yourself either. But why? Everybody in Egypt did it, and I'm only doing it with a Jew. Doesn't matter. 
Zimohit, it says. This is disgusting. This is uh, perverse. That's the language. Toevahit. The introduction of these terms, Zima, Toev, and these other things, into the area of Arais is kind of new and revolutionary history. And right now, in America today, as we all know in the Western culture, uh, they're fighting back against this. They want to be mocked everything. Uh, this is a cultural battleground. Uh, it really is. They have all these pervert lobbies, which are very powerful, well-organized, and they can get all these kind of stuff passed. I don't follow all the news because I just don't have time. Fortunately, I still have a life. Uh, you know, with DeSantis and uh, with the Disney and all the rest of it. But I mean, I get the general idea, which is there, there's a battle in America, a culture war, over Pasha's Achrimos. And I'm sure it's in Israel in some fashion or another. You know, uh, to use a colloquialism, it's a battle of Tel Aviv versus Yerushalayim. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Culture-wise. And uh, all of a sudden, stuff that when I was a child, and you read this, it seemed very not Nugea. You understand? When we I was a kid and we learned Achrimos, okay, I mean, I get it. You know, a person shouldn't do it with his mother. Who has such a hobby? I mean, anyway, you get it? You know, all those kind of things over there. Yes, they're wrong, of course, but it wasn't realistic in the sense someone would actually want to do this. You know, if you said over there, you know, don't tell Oshahara. So that's, you know, people have a time for that. But who has a time for this kind of stuff? But I've lived long enough to see that this particular Yitzhahara or set of Yitzhahara has come back roaring. And uh, it's a major cultural force. And who knows which way America and the West is going. It's kind of strange. Uh, so I wouldn't want to be rabbing some kind of one of these big liberal shuls or something like this week's project. They'll just skip it, you know what I mean? Because they don't want to deal with Zachar, Lois, Mishka, can't say it in America today, you see? So uh, it's very interesting how when you do readings in the Torah, what is relevant and what is not relevant, and sometimes things that weren't relevant have become, which is sad, and once in a while, maybe all the way around, things that were relevant once are not relevant today. You know, that's a, that's a, an interesting litmus test of your the culture in which you're holding, which is when you read in the Torah, like the Parsha of the Week, do the things that you see over there clash with what current culture tells you or not? In the area of Arias, it's definitely there. And the Torah says very interestingly, I, I took you out of Egypt and I'm taking you to Canaan. Egypt was a place where they had serious issue, issues with sex stuff. And Canaan, where you're going, is going to be a place like that. Now, why Hashem said, <laughs> did that? I don't know. Why did you just take them to New Zealand or wherever and there were no native before there were even natives there. You know, why don't you just take them to a deserted place? But he took them to a place which is, uh, you know, Batamachemosum, Tumosum. Now, I'm sure a Kabbalist will say like this the more Tumma, the more Kedusha. That's probably the way they learn it, you know. The more Tumma, the more Kedusha. Fine. But nevertheless, it was a big Nisayan to schlep the Jews out of Egypt and dump them in Canaan. What he should have done is had, you know, a rest. He should have spent. You know what I mean? Uh, a couple generations in a very uh, cineastic type society. You know, and then move to Israel. Uh, consider this well. We today, the Jews, who moved to the modern area of Israel, Eretz Israel, the Turkish Palestine, uh, 
It already was a, they were moving to a place which already, thanks to Christianity and Islam, had imbibed these Parshas Achrimos. And therefore, the newcomers were coming to a place where it wasn't really challenged. Matter of fact, in the Muslim society, opposite, is the big Tzinius. Uh Had they returned to Eretz Yisrael, which was still in a state like a modern, like a Sodom and Gomorrah type situation, oh my goodness, uh, who would be able to withstand it, if anything? So, it's just very interesting, the fact, you have in this week's Parsha, right after you talked about the fact that everybody's going to sin, uh, right after Yom Kippur, and right after the fact you said that people are still into demons and sacrificing of blood and all this kind of business, we have this whole long Parsha, and very important Parsha, in which it said, I took you out of a place which was very tempting, I'm going to take you to a place which is even more tempting, therefore I'm warning you beforehand, Stay away from X, Y, and Z. It doesn't say in the Parsha, don't intermarry. Not in this Parsha. What it says is, don't copy their practices, even if you do with other Jews. Which which is an interesting, their hair. You know what I'm saying? Because it's possible a person say like this, listen, I'm, uh, I'm just hanging around other Jews. That's true. And by the way, that's good too. But... Don't introduce into Judaism, Jewish life, the sexual practices that were in these peoples. That's just, like I said before, that's an interesting concept of how the Jews are supposed to negotiate <coughs> excuse me, their arrival in Eretz Yisrael. Now, mind you, later on in the Chomish, it'll say, don't intermarry with them. right? And head back in Shmo somewhere else, in Mishpatim, wherever he sees Afrika, there are places that don't, you know, didn't marry Yosef, Yosef's bin Chacharai and all that business. But this is a different challenge. This is a challenge that, like, you're not intermarried, but you're, so to speak, you're bringing the Sherrods into the mikvah. You know what I'm saying? Because you're bringing their ways into Eretz Yisrael, into your Kedusha. And that's something you don't want to do. Uh, anyway, these are the ideas that struck me. I want to again, once again, I want to thank uh, Radomskis and say Malatov Sheva. Uh, on the Bas Mitzvah and with that I wish you all a good week for sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com